1: Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The message today is entitled, The School of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I never liked the idea of going to school. Unlike some, I wanted to roam the woods and the farm. I didn't want to go and sit in a desk and watch a clock and hardly wait until I could get out and run free again. Well, Lord, it wasn't my idea to enter the school of the Holy Spirit either. But I'm very grateful today that you've had me enrolled in it now for quite a few years. And I pray that I could graduate, perhaps on the other side. But Lord, today I ask that you would make plain for us what this school is all about and how to cooperate with you in this school, that we could, in fact, learn your ways and be filled with your presence, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. As children of Adam and Eve, we learned immediately upon birth that we were free And we could make our own choices and our own decisions. We learned very quickly what we enjoyed and what we liked and what we didn't like. And we saw life as a smorgasbord poured out before us. And we could go to the table and select whatever we wanted to select. On Friday nights, I have this beautiful smorgasbord of food that everybody brings. And it's all laid out so nicely. And it's very interesting to me to watch people come in and see what they immediately reach for. Some immediately reach for the veggies. Some immediately reach for the chocolate candy. Some go for the entree, the beautiful entree this week of noodles and and all kinds of good things mixed together. Some people immediately went to that, while others immediately went to the cookies. You can learn a lot about yourself by looking at what you go after at the dinner table. Now, I'm one of those who would just as well sit down and say, would you please serve the dessert first? And if I have room, I might take some vegetables. Vegetables. God has been disciplining me so that I no longer sit down and have the dessert first. In fact, I usually don't even eat desserts. I've, I've finally made the decision one day a week I will allow myself one dessert. Why? Because I've learned what it does to my body and I've learned what the price is I must pay if I fill myself with sugar. I mean, watch little kids before dinner, and Daddy wants to give him a cookie. And they go crazy. And Mom and Dad are wondering, why are my kids going crazy? Well, you just jacked them up high on sugar. It's poison. So through discipline, through watching our bodies, we learn. In the school of the Holy Spirit, the same is true. Now, let me try to lay this out simply but plainly in just a few words, and then I'll expand on it. The school of the Holy Spirit begins to teach us to join Jesus in what he's doing and stop asking him to join us in what we're doing. The school of the Holy Spirit teaches us to participate in what Jesus is doing and not to ever ask him to join us in what we're doing. And way too many years and months have gone by in my life where I have thought of something wonderful to do for God. And then gone and started doing it and asked Jesus if he would come and bless it. And in his great mercy, he has on occasion come and rescued me out of that by blessing it. But usually, you know, when I start the day and I say, Jesus, would you please, would you please go with me today wherever I go? Would you bless me today in whatever I need to be about to fulfill my responsibilities? I can hear the echo. No. You either go with me or you go alone. Wait a minute. Shouldn't I be free? Is that fair? Shouldn't Jesus accompany me in the business of my life? and help me fulfill the responsibilities that I have in my life? Shouldn't Jesus do that for me? Isn't he my best friend? No. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the majesty of heaven. You either go with him or you go alone. That's the fundamental principle underlying this whole message of the school of the Holy Spirit, that school is where we begin to learn how to cooperate with God and go where God is going and not go do our own deal and then get in a mess and say, oh, Jesus, see how bad this is. Please come rescue me, Jesus. And in his grace and mercy, many times he'll come and rescue you. But after a while with the children of Israel, he said, why don't you go ahead and pray to the gods that you followed into that place? Ask them to deliver you. And the children of Israel, they backed off. They said, there's no God but you. Well, wait a minute. I thought you went charging out on your own. And you said you were going to do this. And now you've got yourself in a mess. And now you want me to rescue you, the Lord says? And he will a few times, maybe a lot of times. And then he finally says, why don't you pray to the gods you follow? You've not been following me. You've been following other gods. And at that point, we come to the bottom of the barrel. And now we either choose to go and join Jesus in what he's doing, or we die. So this story of, of Joseph Jesus was not just dealing with Joseph. He was dealing with a whole family system. Now, please understand, you're here. But God is not just dealing with you. God is dealing with your whole family system. Recently, one person said, I want my whole family to come to the prayer chapel. I want my whole family to be united. With a heart cry, I don't want to walk alone anymore. I don't want my family splintered and splattered and spread all over. I want my family to come together. Well, the only place a family can come together is around wickedness or around Jesus. Those are the two options. And God wants to deal with the whole family because when he deals with a whole family he's dealing with the whole city and when he deals with a whole city he's dealing with the whole nation the family is the building block of everything that god wants to do in a culture so when we begin to have a heart cry for our family we have the cry of god for our family it's not just popping up out of somewhere It's coming directly from the heart of God. That's his cry. When the brothers betray Joseph, they grieve Father Jacob. The family is now splintering apart. And if God does not intervene, there will be no children of Israel left. They will be assimilated into the wickedness of the age. They will become like the Canaanites and like the Egyptians. So God has to begin to do something. First, Judah goes off by himself. Judah, wait a minute. It's from the tribe of Judah that the kings are to come forth. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So here's Judah leading the family, going off to another city, finding a pagan woman to marry, and bearing two children. The family is breaking apart. Everybody is going their own way. And God looks down, and he sees these two children who have grown up into wicked men. And he says, I'm not going to allow this. I want my children of Israel together, and I'm preparing a womb for them, and I'm going to birth a nation, and And my son is going to come forth out of Judah. So he puts to death both sons. He takes their lives. Judah is now left. His wife has died. His two sons have died and he's back to zero. And what's he going to do? He finds a prostitute. Typical of a pagan man. And this is the man who is going to have his name as one of the 12 names. On the foundation of the city of God, this is the man who's going to sit and rule in one of the thrones in heaven in Revelation. Hadn't been to school yet, but he's starting. When his sons die, his wife dies, he decides, well, a man has to do what a man has to do. I've got to take care of my sexuality. No, does God deal with him? It's his daughter-in-law. Angry because he's had another son and not given it to her so she could have children. So she disguises herself. He's in trouble. He is utterly shamed. He's made his self-righteous proclamation that this woman, this prostitute who is now pregnant that he doesn't know is the prostitute, it's his daughter. He says, bring her out and burn her in the fire. She's, she's a wicked sinner and his daughter-in-law sends the seal of the house of Judah that he gave to this woman in disguise, to say, I will bring you the payment of a lamb. You can keep this and my staff until I pay you. And he goes back with the payment and she's gone. But now, his daughter-in-law is pregnant and he's going to have her burned to death. And she produces the staff and the seal. All the embarrassment and the shame and the heartbreak. You understand, he's in the school of the Holy Spirit, and God is dealing with this man. He has plans for this man. If you have been placed in an embarrassing situation, either by your own action or by the action of another, understand the reason you're in that embarrassing situation is because God has plans for you. You're in the school of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, some of us volunteer for the school without really knowing what we're volunteering for. I mean, can you believe that part of the school of the Holy Spirit is telling one sister to go to the gym and work out every day? And she rebels and stops going and starts eating again. And the Holy Spirit has to come and rebuke her and say, stop it. The school of the Holy Spirit is not some heavenly music floating in the air. It's practical. It's where the rubber hits the road. He wants to call us out of sickness. He wants to call us out of bitterness. He wants to call us out of Choosing our own way. And he wants to outline for us the steps he wants us to take. And they are bloody steps. They are not easy. But they are the school of the Holy Spirit. Part of what I've been very pleased with at the National Prayer Chapel in recent months has been a great increase in vulnerability as we've been free to talk about and cry about the struggle of following the Holy Spirit and recognize that all of us in this church are in the boot camp of the Holy Spirit and he is not done with us. And I praise his name for that. And yet rebellion rises up in our hearts and we've said, I thought this walk with Jesus was supposed to be a smooth walk. I don't think so. John Bunyan says, you go up the hill of difficulty, and when you achieve the top of the hill of difficulty, the road dips down into the valley of humility. You get through the valley of humility, and you enter then into another valley called the valley of the shadow of death. You leave the valley of the shadow of death and you find yourself in the wilderness. And after you're finished with the wilderness, you've got to go through vanity fair. Where every temptation of the devil is going to come to you. Where every pleasant thing is going to be offered to you. And if at this point in your life you feel like you're a victim and you feel like God has mistreated you. Your journey ends in Vanity Fair as you see you have advantages and money possibilities and all kinds of things that you've been wanting as you've been going through the valley of humility and as you've gone through the valley of the shadow of death and you've gone through the wilderness and finally you're free and the money is there and you're off on your own. Or you remain in the school of the Holy Spirit because he has plans for you. He has a ministry for you. He has something he wants you to accomplish that is beautiful. He wants you to cooperate with him in saving men and women from the power of the devil. He wants to use you to save your family. If when the family looks at you, you look like everybody else in the world, what are they going to say? Why are you talking to me about Jesus? You're no different than anybody else, you hypocrite. Whoa. I don't want anybody to say that to me. I want them to see by my honest humility before Jesus and my service to my brothers and sisters and to the humbleness of my heart, that there's something different. That I don't get angry and fly off at somebody. I don't grow bitter and angry and and judgmental. I don't hit people over the head with my Bible or with my truth. See, I don't have any truth except Jesus. He's the truth. So I don't hit people over the head with my law. Instead, I bring to them the name of Jesus. So God rounds up Judah and he sends him back to the family. But the family is broken and splintered because they have mistreated Joseph. In almost every family, there's someone in that family who's being mistreated. Families have a way of doing what we call in psychotherapy, scapegoating. Where somebody is being picked on in the family because of the guilt of the members of the family, but they can choose one member of the family and blame them for everything. If you happen to be that person in your family... You can't force them to stop scapegoating you. But you can rise up in such joy and such power and speak with such truth into their hearts without any bitterness that they will suddenly back off as they see the light of Jesus in you and they'll say, what's happening? You're different. Where you've been going, who you've been talking to. And suddenly the whole dynamic in the family has changed. The only way you can change somebody is by changing yourself. And if you're different, it creates a vacuum with them, and then they have to be different. The school of the Holy Spirit teaches us how to be different so that we don't respond to the old family style and systems. Someone speaks abusively to us. We don't respond abusively. We respond like Jesus. He was not milk toast. He knew how to stand up to sin and with great compassion and mercy speak the truth. And sometimes truth cuts. And Jesus begins to redeem the family. Now we have Joseph. He's in prison because he's been accused of trying to rape Potiphar's wife. Of course, he did not do that. And Potiphar knows that or would have had him executed. Instead, he's put him in his personal prison that he runs for the Pharaoh. So the prisoners in this prison are all associated in some way with Pharaoh and his business. People who have cheated on their, on their business deals with Pharaoh, people who have broken his law, and in the midst of them is this handsome young guy who is courteous, who is kind, but who is a man. Everything is turned over to Joseph. He runs the prison now. And as he's running the prison, in chapter 40 of the book of Genesis, the cupbearer and the baker have been put in prison and they've been there for a long time. It says, sometime. And when the Bible says, sometime, it's a long time. They're in prison. And first thing every morning, these are the highest prisoners held. Joseph goes to them to find out how they are and what they would like, and he serves them. They're very dejected on this morning. They're not cheerful. Each of the men has had a dream. And Joseph says, why are you so downcast? Why are you so dejected? You see, even in the worst of places, we learn how to cope. But God isn't about teaching us how to cope. He's about teaching us to participate in what God is doing. So now suddenly, these men have dreams, and Joseph, let me read it for you. It's very instructive. When Joseph came to them the next morning, verse 6, he saw that they were dejected, so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. In other words, hey guys, I can interpret your dreams. You get the irony here? Joseph is imprisoned as a slave because of his dreams. And when he tried to interpret the dreams, he was slammed pretty hard by the hatred of his brothers. But now he's supposed to interpret the dreams of these two jokers, I don't know what the baker's offense was. Maybe he burned the favorite dessert for Pharaoh, or maybe he didn't get up early enough, and Pharaoh had to be told, "I'm sorry, sir. There's no fresh croissants for breakfast." I don't know what his offense was, but he was put in prison. And I don't know what the cupbearer. What was his offense? Did Pharaoh reach for the cup and the cupbearer let go of it too soon and it splashed on Pharaoh's robe? I don't know what happened, but they're both in prison and God put them there because he's getting ready a young man who is going to go before Pharaoh. Now, let me tell you a secret. It's not a pretty secret, it's an ugly secret. When you are in the school of the Holy Spirit, God will use other people to shape and mold you for the work he wants to do, and it will cost often a great deal for those people who are being used. And they don't even know what's going on. When you make a decision that you're going to give your life to Jesus Christ and you're going to follow Him, other people are going to be hurt by that decision. They're not going to have their whims fulfilled. They're not going to have what they think they want because God is doing something with you and you're impacting them. Is that fair? It's only a child that says it's not fair. By the time we're adults, we were supposed to learn that nothing is fair. The whole system is rigged. It's a chess game on multiple levels being played out between the devil and God Almighty. And if I hadn't been able to read the last part of the book of Revelation and find out who wins the chess match, I would be very tense. I would have no peace. Because sometimes as the game is played out, it looks like everybody's losing on God's side. Sometimes it looks like God's most precious people are dying because they committed to Jesus Christ. But by the grace of God, that death is only the first death. It's the second death we have to be concerned about. Where there is no resurrection from the second death, there's just hell. So Joseph wants to hear the dreams. Listen, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. Now here's Joseph interpreting the dreams. And he has no clue that what he's really doing is learning how to hear God and give accurate interpretations. So here he is in the prison with a member of the household of Pharaoh and is being taught how to speak the word of God with truth. You would not think that God would use a prison to train a man or a woman how to speak to get ready to go before the president of the United States, would you? You'd think he would send them to a finishing school Teach him all the appropriate ways to speak and when to sit and when to stand and how to shake hands and how to walk. That's what they teach diplomats, I understand. I don't think it's too successful in America anymore. No, he's in a prison. He's in a jumpsuit, maybe an orange jumpsuit. And he's standing before Pharaoh's servants interpreting their dreams, because soon God's going to have them standing in front of Pharaoh, interpreting Pharaoh's dream, and he better not mess up when he's giving Pharaoh the meaning of the dream. Now, just so you begin to get a sense of what's going on, Joseph's older brothers all outlived Joseph. Joseph's daddy outlived, in numbers of years, Joseph. Joseph died an early death. Why? Well, his brothers were herding sheep. They had a pastoral life. Joseph was on the hot seat for years. Can you imagine, if he had interpreted Pharaoh's dream as he did, and they had seven years of plenty, and after seven years of plenty, they had another seven years of plenty, he would have been the laughing stock of the nation, and he would have been executed. So he had to go for seven years, storing away the food, building cities, doing everything necessary to prepare for that famine that he said was coming. But if the famine didn't come, and I'll i bet you Pharaoh is watching. Is the famine going to come or isn't it going to come? Can you imagine living under that kind of pressure? I can guess that Joseph would have said, could I just please go back and be a shepherd? I mean, if you look at David's life, King David was a shepherd boy. And God took him from being a shepherd boy and he put him in the palace of the king. He gave him one opportunity to shine and kill Goliath. And now everybody looks at this man. Great. The king gets jealous of him and tries to kill him. And now for the next years, he's going to be running constantly for his life because armies are chasing after him like hunters, after a fox or a rabbit. All of it the school of the Holy Spirit. I don't know. If you have not already been enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit, how do you feel about being enrolled? I hate to tell you all, but by coming here, you enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit. You're here. And you've given God permission to do in your life. Or you haven't given it, but he'll take it anyway. To do whatever has to do to prepare you for what he's planning to use you for in the redemption of your family and of this nation. The second man was not so blessed. And do you see why that was necessary? He could not be called a prosperity prophet. He had to be a truth prophet. He had to call it as it was. He could not hide behind some positive affirmation. He had to speak the truth as God gave it to him. And this was not positive truth. He says... When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph in verse 16, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. The top basket, there were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you or impale you on a tree. And the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials, and he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph has said in his interpretation. In the midst of this, Joseph, still being concerned about himself and not recognizing that he was in the school of the Holy Spirit, please hear me now. If you do not recognize that God is totally in control of your life, and that what happens in your life is not by accident, that he is preparing you for what he wants to accomplish through your life. I need to say one thing as a total aside. Jan always prayed, When we were praying in private, Lord, spend me as you choose. Let me be a blank check for you. Spend me any way you'd like to spend me. He chose to spend her on cancer. Jan didn't understand that. I didn't either. Because he had told us the things that he was going to accomplish in the ministry of the National Prayer Chapel. Wonderful revival things he shared with us. As the Lord made promises to me, I always included Jan as though the promise was for her also. That was a mistake. God was preparing something for Jan on the other side. You see, it's very easy for us to see our life, as we might think, wasting away. But our eternity has just begun. And all that we do on this earth And all that we learn in this journey is simply to prepare us ultimately for what we will do on the other side as we visit universes who want us to come and tell them the story of redemption. They want to hear the song of Moses and the Lamb. They want to hear from someone who actually felt the filth of the devil and overcame it by the blood of Jesus, and was washed and made clean in that blood. He wants us to go to worlds just created, and testify to them about sin and wickedness, and urge them not in any way to turn toward darkness, Because it's always an open option for God's creatures to turn and rebel against him. He is not a tyrant. He is a God of love and grace and mercy. And we will be his mouthpiece to speak to universes in the ages to come. The glory of Jesus Christ and the glory of his crucifixion. And we will give our own personal testimony of redemption. That's why one day when I came in, Jan with a bright smile on her face, bedridden, swollen, sick, dying, a bright smile on her face, saying, Ray, I've I've put my burden down. And the burden was I want to be used here. I want to be used here for the salvation of my brothers and sisters, and I'm dying of cancer. If God doesn't heal me, I can't minister, and you will be alone. She finally laid that burden down. She didn't lay down her belief that God would heal her. She laid down her own agenda. She laid down her own desire. She no longer asked Jesus to come and be with her, in her stuff, she said, Jesus, let me come and be with you. And if that means I go home, then take me home. If I'm still to be here and you have something for me, then heal me. Do you understand how serious this journey is? And how determined the devil is that he's going to get you off track? And that he's going to cause you to focus on your stuff and not focus on Jesus. Some of you have filled your life so full of your activities that you have no time for Jesus. Just a word to mothers. You know what is on the heart of God. The reason he allowed you to be a mother was that you would raise godly children that could live for eternity with him. He wants to populate heaven. And one of the ways he populates heaven is by giving godly mothers children. And mothers and fathers, don't be shy of spanking your children don't be shy of disciplining your children in love and kindness and mercy, but discipline them. Because if you don't, they're already headed to the school of the Holy Spirit because of your position. And God's going to have to discipline them if you don't. And I think most of us in this room know, you'd rather have your dad discipline you rather than having Jesus discipline you. Because when we're older, our hearts grow cold and angry and bitter. And it takes a great deal of discipline to break through, a great deal of suffering to break through all that hard shell of pride and arrogance and determination that we'll have it our way. Discipline your children in love and mercy. So Joseph is in the hands of God. But in verse 14, he says, But when all goes well with you, cupbearer, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even now I've done nothing to deserve being put in this dungeon. He didn't think life was fair. He hadn't learned yet that life is not fair. And he didn't know yet that only God could deliver him from that prison. So in his human strength and his human power, he goes directly to an officer of Pharaoh's court. Get me out of here, please. Go over Potiphar's head. Do you know what a row that would have caused? If this man had gone to Pharaoh and overruled Potiphar, only God can deliver us. And when we try to set up our own deliverance and our own deal and then hope that God will go along with us, we've already lost. Some of you today are in very difficult places and some of you are there unjustly. Whether you're there justly or unjustly really doesn't matter. You're there. And the devil has come against you like a raging lion. And God has allowed him to do that. And what's going to drive the devil crazier than he even is now on that final day is when he sees that what he meant for evil God turned for good in your life. That God used it in the school of the Holy Spirit to shape you into the weapon designed for the hand of God to be used against the powers of darkness. So whatever your place is today, in prison, in a job you hate, in a home situation that's miserable. Cry out to God and ask if you could join with God in doing whatever God's doing. Because the deliverance is assured. Let's pray. I ask, Lord, today for strength for the journey. I ask that no bitterness or anger would rise in our hearts against those who would abuse us or persecute us, or judge us. I ask that a spirit of humility and peace be given to us. I ask, Lord, if we could join fully into what you're doing. I ask, Lord, if we could come to town with you. Thank you, Lord. I wait upon you in the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: was a truth I longed to see God said one day I'd be free All trying led to failure That's when I heard him whisper All of Jesus, none of me All of Jesus, all of Jesus, all of Jesus, none of me. I found him in wondrous jubilee. Should you ask, I'll gladly tell you of the key to our salvation. All of Jesus, none of me. All. None of me All of Jesus All of Jesus All of Jesus None of me All of Jesus None of me Jesus, none of me.
1: You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you my brother my sister I'll talk to you soon
0: with great joy now unto him who
2: is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory